0: On arrival at the tea house, as instructed, I knocked 6,000 times. of the august gloom? No. (laughs) Curse is next door. (laughs) It's always next door in China. <laughs> yes. Tea House of August Goon. Yes, huh? Are you up pong Yes, we are up till 11 o'clock.
1: <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Goon Pod. As you've just heard, it is China's story this week that we are discussing. And of course, I feel I should point out the obvious that the show, um, the original show and, and the remake, contained uh, language, content, and themes. Of its time okay um and joining me this week is roger stevenson roger you you've already indicated to me that you're probably the oldest or one of the oldest people so far that's been on the show yes do you do you mind me asking when you were born uh
2: 1949
1: 1949 okay yes. so so you'd have been old enough to have heard the goon show first time round then
2: no, uh well, I never did hear it the first time around, actually. I, I came to the goons by quite a sec- circuitous route. Right. Uh, I think I was a bit too young. I was about 10 when they finished. Mm. But uh I was just that right sort of pre-pubescent age for the for the Telegoons. Of
1: course. Oh god.
2: <laughs> and it was awful. I mean the Telegoons was awful, don't get me wrong. Yeah. In fact, it scarred me for life because when I envisage any member of the Goons, any cast member. I get the pictures of the telly goons in my head.
0: <laughs> I yeah. can't
2: help it, which is awful because I think Major Bloodlock w- looks nothing like that. But yeah, and it was sort of all the rage at school. I, I went to a boys' grammar school and um, this this was wonderful. You know, we all did the voices all the time. My friend Paul and myself caused uproar in an English lesson because uh, we were doing Macbeth, doing Macbeth in those days. The teacher made us read it out loud round the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, myself and Paul did two of the witches as Min and Henry. <laughs> uh, absolutely, when shall we three meet again? Uh, <laughs> That's a huge sigh of disappointment when the third boy, third witch, either through lack of ability or lack of nerve, just did it on his normal voice. <laughs> and then uh, I, I guess he disappeared somewhat because it's not like it is today. There's no going back over previous things and internet and that mm. it sort of happened as it happened. And then the next thing that happened was um, it, again in the playground. It was, have you read the Dustbin of Milligan?
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: It led me to discover the uh, comedy section in the library. It's eight two seven in the Dewey Decimal System. I can still remember that. Oh right. I discovered things like um, Little Potboiler and and the Book of Bits and. All these other wonderful books like that. And then, of course, the next big thing to hit us a couple of years later was Pacoon. Yeah. ah, wonderful. I don't know know how many copies I've given away. I don't know how many times I've read it, but it still makes me roar with laughter. And then after that, we got The Goon Show scripts. Wonderful. So this is what it was all about then, you know, and it sort of made the past fall into place more. This is a lot better than The Telly Goons ever was. Uh, Of course, after that, we had Adolf Hitler and so on. And strangely enough, it wasn't until mid-1970s, way after all this, that I finally purchased a cassette, The Goon Show.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Which one was it?
2: Uh, It was um, Dishonored Again and Tales of Old Dartmoor. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose you could say, really, that I watched The the Goon Show and I read The Goon Show a long while before I listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of a weird way around of doing it. It is. The thing is, is. they were all over the media. Um, I mean, you've got to remember, it's not like it's monolithic, that there was just, until 1968, there were two television channels. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And until 67, there were three official radio channels. Mm. So everyone sort of shared experience. You know, you could talk to your grandparents about what you were watching and what you're listening to, and they'd have probably watched and listened to the same thing. It's not like now, where everyone goes their own individual, beats a path through the internet yeah so they were all over the place you know um all these variety shows played and so on they were on um, panel shows there weren't many talk shows came in a bit later but they're on panel shows uh jukebox jury which was i don't know if you ever heard of it oh yeah it? yeah basically four entertainers trying to say whether songs aimed at teenagers are going to be hits or not I still remember spikes in there saying, it's a hit for me and disaster with the rest of the country. <laughs> that sort of thing. It just, and every time they're on the news and the like, it was ex-goon, arch-goon with a mugging for the cameras.
1: Oh, and, and also course, also the lazy um, headline that the newspapers would always use, "Goomba not forgotten. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Mm.
2: And of course, Michael Benteen, this was his uh, hour of glory because this was, it's a square world.
0: I'm very sorry about that, indeed. But it does bring us extremely neatly to our next subject, pretenders to the throne. Here we see uh, Carlos, the pretender to the Spanish throne. Next, we see Louis Bourbon, who is pretender to the French throne and also pretends to have invented a well-known chocolate biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) We even have a pretender to the English throne. Here he is in the studio tonight, Mr. Burt King, with his retinue. Uh, uh, King Burt. King Burt. Mr. King Burt. King Burt. Good evening, subjects. Is that your (laughs) Harold?
2: No, that's our Harold. to me, it's why he left the goons, because there's things that the the flea circus and um, the four men in bold hats canoeing up the River Thames to find the source. Yeah. And um, the, the Chinese, you know the story about the Chinese junk?
1: And yeah oh things yes things. yeah tell me about that though because i can't remember the details
2: okay yeah well basically it started off with um they moved chinatown from soho to greek street and this sort of inspired michael Benteen to do this thing of junk sailing up the thames and firing at the houses of parliament <laughs> and it was all recorded and everything and then they couldn't show it because a snap election was called and they decided it was politically sensitive oh, yeah. i don't get it either but yeah politically sensitive and when they did actually show it some time later, it had a huge audience because everyone was all in the papers, you know, it's a square world cancelled. <laughs> so it had a huge audience. And Michael Benteen tells a wonderful story about it. And when they finished the filming and there was a police launch behind them because they had to get permission on that. He looked like a Mongolian warlord. He was great. This police launch pulled alongside them and they signaled that they'd finished. And police sergeant says, I don't suppose any of you lot speak English. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we are going to be doing an episode on it's a square world in the next couple of months well, great so account for that um
2: but, but you see for me that's why michael bentine didn't fit in with the goons, because his was a very visual sense of humor mm. you know spike was uh sound it was all about the sounds and what have you but michael bentine it was you know, if you watch some of those things, it is, it's the look of it every time. It, it was just as funny, but it was in a visual way rather than in uh, an audio way.
1: Yeah, his, his comedy tended to be um, in the in the Goon Show. A lot of the sketches, he, he was kind of aiming for sort of a pseudo documentary, comic documentary style, whereas Spike was more about just insanity and, yes. and one-liners and gags and explosions.
2: Yeah, it, it is, It's a Square World was very often the sort of sketches of a um, documentary style. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you ever, I see a letter um, that he wrote explaining why he left the goons. Um, would you like to hear it? It's uh, it Peter. You, You've got a letter. Yeah, well, not m- not myself. I, uh, someone called Andy Ayliff. Right. Who uh, was a BBC producer and he produced The Reluctant Jester. White uh-huh. the yeah, yeah. And um, he he posted it on um, British Radio Comedy, which is a Facebook group.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Please Uh, read that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It says, Dear Peter. I don't know if that's Peter Eaton or Peter Sellers. It's not clear. Thank Mm. you very much for the invitation, which I shall try hard to make. There is only one snag, that being the possibility of having to go to Dorset for the weekend. However, I do most sincerely wish you and the boys every success in a really terrific series. Larry dropped in and suggested a guest appearance later in the series, which was very nice of you all, but I do feel that professionally, a break must be a break, though of course I hope that our friendship will continue for many years to come. I honestly do feel that the goons have a much better balance with three comics and a straight man, as for example, Danger Men at Work, and that the foregoing series did show a decided overbalancing of comedy with the addition of the extra one. Shall eagerly listen, and if I can't make the first,
1: we'll make the second. Hmm, okay. Kind of interesting, eh? Because he turns up, I know he turns up in the giant Bombardin. Yeah. Uh, as a guest in, what's that, series four? So, yeah, that is interesting. It is interesting. Because it's never quite clear, it's never been established 100% what drove him to leave. There's some rumours, if you read Roger Lewis's book, Sellers was really sort of driving that, if you know what I mean, that there was there was a lot of animosity between Benteen and Sellers, which doesn't seem to be borne out in other accounts.
2: No, I don't think, we, I've heard a number of different explanations, i got to say, that he was pushed out and that um, mm. he did actually um, explore to find the source of the Amazon, you know, he wasn't restricted so much as perhaps some of the others were, so
1: there we are. And also, I think he was quite independently wealthy, wasn't he? So he, he, he was able to Pursue lots of different pursuits, if you like. (laughs) Um, So one of the questions I always ask people um, is with regards to the Goon Show, did you used to skip the music when listening to it?
2: I did, but I don't anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I I think it's just an appreciation that um, basically the Goon Show comes from sort of variety and uh where some hancock's half out was basically a play comic play whereas variety was always what it says variety you get a juggler you get a singer you get an accordion play you get a comic and it just fits in with that you know it's not all comedy you put in something part way through just mm. to alter the tone just change of pace etc and so i've gone i've grown to appreciate that for what it is
1: yeah me too because i used to I I had them all on tape and I used to tend to fast forward, yeah. certainly through Galdre. Um, but but now listening back, now listening to them again, 30 years later, I'm, I'm appreciating it more, the music. Yeah. And, and it, it all, it knits it all together, I think. It um, does.
2: It's just, it's just a light and shade thing, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Chinatown and the, the junk before, which yeah. kind of neatly segues <laughs> us into... Uh, the topic of today's conversation so you indicated you, you wanted to come on and talk about the Goon show episode china story now there's there's two versions of that there's the the version that went out in 55 as part of series five and then there was the the remake in 56 and i think the remake is the one that you prefer is that right
2: um i, I think i like them both actually uh I'm, i actually of the opinion that there weren't enough remakes. I just wonder if Spike wouldn't have been quite so exhausted if he hadn't remade more. I mean, Dishonored and Dishonored again are both brilliant. Yeah, Robin Hood, Hastings Flyer, the whole, the whole of the vintage series, it just seems to me that the thing might have lasted longer and he might have lasted longer if he'd taken some of those Series 4, maybe Series 3 programs and just expanded them, developed them, changed them slightly and uh, it was just a, giving it more life, I think.
1: You mentioned Dishonored and Dishonored again. Dishonored again is generally considered to be the better version, um, although Dishonored is very good in itself, but also The Man Who Never Was from series eight is yeah. generally considered to be the better version than than series six and, and, and that itself was expanded on from a series three episode, wasn't
2: it? That's right, yeah. Um, I don't think it quite works with China's story, partly because it, it is a one-off um, as part of, what is it, national radio show at Earl's Court. Uh, I, I get the impression, listening to bits of it, uh, Spike's little interjections and uh, Harry's fluff lines and so on, that they may have sort of overdone the hospitality to some extent.
1: <laughs> well, I've got a bit of background information. We'll, we'll come on to that. Um, <clears throat> but I wanted to just talk through, because the script... With a few exceptions, the script is pretty much the same for both shows. There's yeah. a there's a there's a couple of topical references in the in the remake. Um Which
2: work better than the original.
1: Yeah, yeah. But more or less the, they stick to the to the script. Yeah. So I just wanted to to chat through, you know, both episodes, if you like. Yeah. Um, so China Story is in series five, it's the 17th. Episode of Series Five and it's uh, broadcast the eighteenth of January nineteen fifty five. Written by uh, Spike and Eric Sykes, although yeah. with the Eric Sykes and Spike Milligan episodes, it tended to be one had more involvement than the other, if if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think with China's story, it was it was very right. much driven by Spike. I think this one was that Spike um, uh, more yeah, or less apart, wrote,
2: apart from the ending. It, the way it's brought to an end seems to me very much an Eric Sykes thing. You know, it is a story as such, whereas Spike was not very good at
1: plots, shall we say. True, it true.
2: End and uh, I mean, it's, it's hardly surprising, really. When you've got a story going nowhere, it looks pretty stupid when it actually arrives there, doesn't it?
1: But... <laughs> well, that is true. I never thought of that. Yes, there is a there is a plot, isn't there? And it does pay off at the end, more or less. Exactly. Um and it also reminded me very much because we've got we've got Colonel um, Colonel Gripatson and Count Moriarty trying to involve the dupe Neddy Seagoon um, trying to involve him in an assassination plot which is exactly what they were doing the week before the, the show before this was the case of the missing heir set in oh yes. uh, set in Austria where again Gripa and Moriarty were trying to get Neddy to more or less assassinate somebody Um, now this show by the way again you know don't want to sort of jump too far ahead but it was it was issued by EMI in 68 um, along with the Matriki Rising of 74 and um, with the if you see have you seen the original cover of the LP where they're wearing Chinese straw hats the goons uh, it's a really terrible cover. Um, but did you did you pick that LP up at all, or that tape, the tape of it up no, in the seventies? No, I,
2: I never did. Uh, no. Strangely enough, after um, Dishonored and Old um, uh, Dartmoor, along came Marriage and Family. Okay, so money, money went out the window basically till internet, when I yeah. discovered the Goon Show Depository and um, all these wonderful Goon shows I could listen to that I'd never heard. So no, I, I, I saw. Sort of, one cassette and then everything.
1: Right, I see, okay, okay. I hadn't listened to China Story for the longest time because I'm, I'm gradually working my way through the shows again, having essentially um, moved on or, or been involved with other things, a bit like you, I suppose, you know, I, 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 grew, I grew out, not grew out of them, but I just, I, I still kept an interest in the goons as a whole, but I, I stopped listening to the shows on a regular basis for sure. And 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 um, the last few years I'm working my way through them again, and and this podcast is partly a way for me to do that. But I hadn't listened to China Story for for many years, and I was expecting it to be a lot more problematic than it than it than it was. I suppose, if you like, um, in what way? Well just in terms of when i say problematic in terms of through modern eyes okay uh, in terms of some of the stereotypes and some. oh the, yeah yeah the
2: um there's a couple of racial slurs at um railing to yeah oh the yeah the audience don't sort of have a nervous laughter at
1: yeah um, um there's there's lots of er- 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 erroneous l's inserted into, into yeah, words yeah. as well yes. um mentions of cool is yeah yeah uh but uh, in my head my memory was that it that it was it was worse than it was if you know what i mean and 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 i'm not one of these that uh wants to go back and kind of rewrite history and say well it shouldn't be you know this sort of thing shouldn't be allowed and we should suppress it i think it, it was very much of its time and it was just in keeping with the the sort of mores of the age of the time okay. of the period and um, i
2: asked myself how many Contemporary comics would have survived in nineteen fifties radio. Mm. The not many, really. No, no.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean Spike did tend to kind of he 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 banged the drum. I mean <laughs> Spike's such a complex character. He's such a contradictory character, isn't he? And you know he was still doing the um, the sort of shall we say slitty eyed Chinese stereotypes well into the seventies in the Q series and things like that. Um, but uh, in this, you know, you give it a pass more or less because it's just, you know, it's it's it was of its time, and that, that's that's the way that you have to treat these shows. Uh, and it's funny, and it's funny, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, it's it's also in a way, I think. It, it, I mean, I, I want to read something because um, in 1955 there was a an interview in a magazine called Arc, okay which I think was, was sort of like an arts magazine. Um, I'm not quite sure, but there was an interview between Peter Eaton, producer Peter Eaton and Spike, okay? And I'm not quite sure the, what the background was to this conversation, but it was just a general interview about the goons between Eaton and Milligan. And I just want to read you some of this because it, it, it's um, specific to China story. So Eaton says to Milligan, how do you start to write a script? Take, for instance, China Story, the one the critics reviewed, in which I consider the best of the whole series. By the way, the critics, do you know about the critics? No, no. So the critics was a a radio version of, I suppose, um, what's that Mark Lawson programme, Late Review?
2: Isn't
1: there um, an example of it on one of the compendium things? There is, yeah. There, there's a recording of them discussing. Uh, so the critics, as I say, it was a, a radio review, arts review, TV, film, books, et cetera, I believe. Um, or it might have just been, uh, they might have just been discussing radio. I'm not quite sure. But there is a recording of it on the compendium, but it's really atrocious quality. Yeah, it is. You can barely hear it. Um, but the, yes, yeah, the, the critics reviewed China story the week it went out and um, were very favorable, I think about it. But Peter Eaton says, yeah, he he asks Spike about China's story. and, and, And Spike says, well, first of all, childhood recollections of China when we were all young, the first thing we ever heard about Chinamen were things like Fu Manchu. And they were always fiendish and always lay on hard wooden benches, smoking opium pipes and looking through bead curtains. Then when you grow up and you realize that they're not a bit like that and how you've been hoaxed as a child, beautifully and enjoyably hoaxed, You begin to laugh at it when you think of all these idiots in these novels. I just put them together and they write themselves. There's the fiendish Chinaman, and then we always bring in an English upright piano because they seem to have been the most useless thing in British social life. When I first came to England, there seemed to be one in every front room, never opened, the keys yellow, and it had always just been tuned, but never played. I thought now in every house along the street, there's one of these things complete with brass candle holders, and it's quite, quite useless. Why not take one to China? A Chinaman wants one, equally useless to him, and to make it even funnier, I decided to take it to a Chinese naffy. Then, of course, there always were the terrible, outdated English characters in the story about 20 years behind the times talking about fiendish John Chinaman. That's how it goes on.
0: There's no
1: question of deep satire. We just have fun with past ideas, incorporating people being slightly out of date. So it's a bit of a a satire on the, um, the hearty British uh adventurer type
2: if you yeah like, a me?
1: lot of this stuff is
2: you know how many times does neddy seguin sing they'll always be in england uh, yeah uh, various programs it's, he's always sending it up slightly <laughs> yeah
1: that's right because he's got a what is it <laughs> a neon lit union jack <laughs> above his head in this yes he's the british ambassador but he's obviously a bit down on his luck The 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 quote heroic British characters in the Goon Show are always down at heel, aren't they? Um, They're never
2: uh, always not quite as brave as they thought they were. Uh... No,
1: absolutely. Um, So, Neddy Seagoon is British ambassador to China. He's on the Shanghai waterfront, and as I say, he's he's engaged in conversation by Grip Pipe and Moriarty, and we have this recurring gag, which. Uh, I think is was wonderful with Adolphus Spriggs.
2: Uh, that's, I think it's the best recurring gag he's done. I, I, I can still remember the first time I heard it, falling about, laughing every time <laughs> Adolphus Spriggs turned up. It, it's, it's put into the story so beautifully. Which again, I wonder if that's a bit of Eric Sykes coming in there. This is, you know, put it here, put it here. just the right gap each time, so you've forgotten about him.
0: <clears throat> Pardon me, coin, sir. Uh, Would you three gentlemen be sitting here for the next few minutes? Uh, yes. <clears throat> I'm only a strolling <laughs> by the so good a night. Pretty maiden, so good night. I'm bound for the hills and the valleys beyond, so good night. Put it in on a good night, a good night, a good night, a good night. Oh, put it in on a, good night. a good night. Yes. <laughs> now, Sigurd, this is the idea we have, gentlemen. What? You, you heard my melody, and I think that this. Little wooden box with a slit in the top. Speaks the poor too. Yes. Neddy, the first thing you have to do... <clears throat> Gentlemen, I understand. You want an uncle? <laughs> oh, joy. Mm. Oh, gypsy am I. <laughs> a wandering boy. <laughs> ah! <laughs> well done, Moriarty. <laughs> Just check the little wooden box, would
1: you? <laughs> yeah, so so we have this this recurring appearance from Adolphus Spriggs, who's desperate, desperate to sing this song and desperate to get paid for it. Um, and it's interesting. When you listen to the fifth series episode, you know, the original version of China Story, um, Adolphus Spriggs is, is all through the show um, to the extent that uh, Eccles doesn't turn up because I guess there's no room <laughs> for Eccles
2: Eccles and Min are both uh, conspicuous by their absence true Min of course yeah uh, I think I, that's, um, I think that's just spike really I'm not sure he always had that great faith in his own ability as an actor in fact in another, another way um, you've got to wait to Victoria wood for another comic writer who was as happy as spike was to share the jokes around the whole cast yeah that's a good point
1: yes. If you look at Acorn Antiques. She she she's kind of the drudge, isn't it? Isn't she doesn't get the gags as much mm-hmm, as yes. as um, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Overall and um,
2: it's the same with dinner ladies. You know, the, the gags are spread out amongst all of them. Yeah, she gets one or two herself, but you know, everyone gets a shot. That's true. The same as Spike. He, he's always happy. At least in, not so much in Q, perhaps, but in the Gun Show with the, the people around him. He was always happy to let them have the laughs.
1: Well, I think the biggest laugh on the on the the remake um, in '56 oh, yeah. is the reference to which is a, a fresh, a topical gag that's inserted into the remake, which is about Colonel NASA, which was very topical at the time because
2: yeah, the sewers crisis.
1: Yeah, so that. be do you remember the? You'd have been old enough, maybe just just about old enough to remember the sewers crisis. Um, remember I remember
2: that? the words. <laughs> Right. Okay. I remember the words of Suez Crisis, but it didn't mean very much to me. But it was something that was spoken about. I, I even as it does a couple of years later, they still talked about the Suez Crisis as something that had happened. But you know, at yeah. a uh, six years old, it's not as important as Roy Rogers on the television.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when yeah, so in August '56, when they when they remade the China China story, I think you mentioned before. I think Seagreen bursts into a rendition of "There'll Always Be in England."
0: Waiter, two iced rickshaws and a picture of Colonel Nassau, please. What, 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 Don't mention that name here. There'll always be an England, and England shall be free. If England means as much to you as England means to me. Now we'll never get it back. LAUGHTER We don't need sewers we can get to india another way the manchester
1: ship canal the, the plot is that grit Piper moriarty um they say to Seagun that they are working with the chinese leader general cash my check um and working
2: against him aren't they he's the he calls um cash check um his dreaded rival
1: oh well are they working well i know that they're working against him at the end but i thought yeah. at the beginning they they in, imply that that he, because Cash My Check wants to pay fifty million yen to anyone who could snuggle. Uh-huh.
2: But that's that's the subterfuge, isn't it? You know, in actual fact he's a dreaded rival.
1: Uh, okay, Which, as, far as
2: I can see, makes some communists with Mao Zedong <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a weird grip by Moriarty I mean, with uh, a Chinese communists is quite an interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there are complexities to the script that I hadn't been aware of till you pointed it out. Uh, but Sigun needs to get. This piano and and smuggle it to uh, cash my check. Yeah. Uh, so he has to go to the. Now this is the, probably one of the most memorable. It probably is up there as, as being the most memorable sound of extended sound oh, effect gag yes. in the Goon Show history. He has to go to the tea house of the August Goon. Yes.
2: Um, you know who cash my check is, is a joke on, don't you? Uh, uh,
1: well, I presume it's um, was it Kayan Kashek? So, uh, Kai yeah He was the Chinese nationalist leader on uh, Taiwan. Yeah. Didn't he do? Wasn't there a famous march that he was involved with? He went on a march, something like that. I was so like, there was, was
2: a march, march of a thousand miles or whatever. Was that march?
1: Oh, right. I should have done my research, hadn't I? This, I'm just going from school history, remembering <laughs> history from school. Yeah,
2: it, it was and of course. Tea House of the August Goon, a presume Tea House of the August Moon was was current at the time. I it was a player. There's a, a film with Marlon Brando as a sort of Japanese boy, if you can envisage that.
1: Yeah, mm. it doesn't get shown on TV anymore, I guess that one. Uh, uh, it's quite funny,
2: actually. It's it's really about American imperialism that they, they want to build a school, the locals want the geisha house. So, okay, not a
1: okay. funny
2: film, but uh, if you can get past. And Brando is a Japanese <laughs> boy, but there we are.
1: So Seagoon has to go to the Chi House of the Always Goon and knock 6,000 times and ask for our pong. Uh, um, and then we had this wonderful, I just, I'd just, i love to know how they went about putting the sound effect together.
2: It sounds to me as if uh, they did so many knocks and then speeded the tape up, which sounds like, isn't it? Sort of, yeah, yeah. If you've got a tape of Lots of knocks like that, spliced and speeded it up and spliced it with the normal one and so on. It, I think it sounds something like that. So,
1: At the end, a, is it, uh, as it... Sound effect trickery. As it sped up, it sounds at one point like it's going to take off, like it's <laughs> a, like it's a, <laughs> it's some sort of aircraft or something, you know? Oh,
2: absolutely wonderful, in my opinion, it is. And uh, especially as, the, the, again, it goes to the end of it and he's puffing and panting. Uh, see how's the August goon?
1: no yeah (laughs) and then they have the bravery if you like to repeat it
2: (laughs) 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 Uh, Spike was always very good at filling periods of time though wasn't he with silences or or meaningless little conversations and so on Uh, and even at times he would say I only did that bit to fill up another two minutes
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's the line that I've never understood and I wonder if you can if there's an obvious joke I'm missing. Um, but w- w- when he, yeah, when he first knocks and he's told it it's next door. He says, curse, it's always next door in China.
2: Yeah. It's a, it's a racial joke actually about the eyes. Is uh, it? Oh, right. Slightly rude one
1: about standing
2: in toilets. Oh, okay. Then, <laughs> I'll stop there. Shall I? I'm so Yeah. All right. There. All right then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I remember
2: all these old racial jokes from my childhood, see. You cringe at them now, but they were currency at the time. This is all these jokes. uh, It's it's like the one in here about uh, they're always going the other way. It's an old, very rude joke, racist joke. uh, Like, um, it's his turn in the barrel.
1: Oh, yes, I know about that. All
2: these old racist jokes. This was currency at the time.
1: Um, Before we go any further, did you have a particular... Favorite character in the Goon Show overall?
2: Oh, that's difficult. Um, I think, like everyone, I started off with Eccles and Bluebottle. Their exchanges were always um, mm. wonderful to behold. And it, it, it changes over the years. It was for some time it was Min and Henry. I'd love Min and Henry's bits. Um, I also like Neddy Seagoon, either with Grip Pipe Thin or with Blood Knot, that their timing of those two together is absolutely brilliant. And yeah. just lately, I think I've, I've, what I've come to really appreciate now is Wallace Greenslade. Oh, yes. He, he doesn't quite send himself up, but he almost does. Whereas Andrew Timothy was straight, absolutely yes. straight. And he got the impression he didn't like the show very much, doing it for the money. Wallace Greenslade, you can t- i mean, even in this, he says, oh, Greenslade, how can they afford you? <laughs> He's obviously loving it. And and this, this piece in here about um, you know women in corsets make an absolutely good program and, and the other bit about Ying Tong Tidal Po isn't currency.
1: They are beautifully done. You know, just a slight touch of send up, oh, which would culminate in the Greenside story. Yes. Six. Yes. Um, yeah. You mentioned about the, the line about the corsets. So so yes, there's a there's a sequence where Greenslade, uh, he says, "Ladies and gentlemen, while our heroes are getting that certain English piano up onto the stage of the secret Chinese naffy, I'd like to draw your attention to page fifty-two of this week's Radio Times. It shows a three-quarter rear view of a lady wearing a pair of corsets. We'd like to point out that this is an advertisement and not a program, etc. etc. Now." of course I did I I went I knew I just thought oh well I will check (laughs) and I looked at the Radio Times for the week that or the week before so so the week that I guess Spike would have been writing Spike and Eric would have been writing China's story and I looked at page uh, 52 which was the back cover of the Radio Times sure enough there is a woman wearing corsets wow um and it's um, what is it here? I've got it here. The high waist girdle, new yeah. back N U, stroke back new back, and self adjusting front. <laughs> so I'd like to think that Spike or Eric or well, you know they, they were just sort of leafing through the Radio Times, or it was you know it was on the coffee table, um, and they just saw that and thought, right, let's make a gag out of that, you know. Whereas, and the, and the thing is, it gets that gag gets repeated when they make it again in, in um, 56 and I did go and check that week's radio times and no, there was, there was no corsets on the back of that. Actually,
2: so. I think it's butchered the second time around. Another reason makes me think they've been drinking because you get Eccles and Blue Bottle shadowing Greenslee. Yes, you do. It kind of ruins the point of the joke for me. And I, I thought, you know, I don't mind. There's other parts where I don't mind them doing it. And me, tell them to shut up. But I feel here they're ruining a good
0: gag. Ladies and gentlemen, while our heroes are getting the certain English piano up onto the stage of the secret Chinese naffy, I would like to draw your attention to the back page of this week's Radio yeah. Times. Okay, okay, okay. It shows a three-quarter oh, semi-profile yeah, view yeah, okay. of a distinguished lady wearing a pair of corsets. Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut up! Shut, shut up! With the gratuitous inclusion of
1: Eccles. Yeah. Oh, by the way, sorry, I meant what I normally do with with goon shows of this period. There's always a or there tends to be a synopsis in the Radio Times, um, which often bears no (laughs) or very little resemblance to the actual show's plot. But um, but there is for for this, there is a a synopsis, which I will read. Um, So it's uh, from, as I say, 18th of January, 1955, 830, The Goon Show. China story. During the year of the Boxer Rising, when the Far East from Shanghai to Peking was seething with spies and armed smugglers, Raffles Seagoon, a swaggering racketeer and part-time dustman, was approached by Mandarin, Grippipe grip thin, and General Kashmai Check to join them in the most staggering international financial coup of all time. And then there's a list of characters, very few of whom actually appear Fred Fu Manchu, played by Peter Sellers, Raffles seagoon which of course he wasn't Raffles in the in the show. Um Calhoun mcteeth Spike Milligan, um R. Pong, played by Harry Seacum this time, Ooh. and it was it was Spike in the actual show. Beach Eccles, Missionary Crun and Missionary Bannister. And there's no, I mean Eccles and many aren't in the show, like you say. Um and it goes on to say Harry Seacum is appearing in Cinderella at the Hippodrome Theatre Coventry. <laughs> okay. this just this, It bears no resemblance to the actual show, really, does it?
2: Do we know how long before the show these things had to be put into the radio times? Yeah, I don't
1: know. You'd have thought it would have to be a few weeks, certainly.
2: Yeah, so basically it may have been where he started, but it's not where he finished.
1: Yes, he uh, had the idea of a, a, a China yeah, drama. China,
2: yeah, you like. exactly. And, just, and it, all his stuff, when you start to examine it, it's amazing how much of it is actually topical, isn't it? You know, Like you say, the NASA quote and, you know, Shanghai Sheck and um, the references to, what was it, Anita Stopp or something in the first one?
1: Oh, so, right, Ava Scott. This is Ava interesting. Scott, that's it, yeah. Um, so Blue Bottle, later on when Blue Bottle appears, he, well, he talks about Grace Kelly rather lasci- lasciviously, I think.
2: Yeah, Grace Kelly and uh, William Holden, isn't it? In the in the film Bridges of Toko
1: Toko Ryalry, yeah. Um, which is about a navy fighter pilot who uh is married to Grace Kelly or something like that. Um, but Grace that would have been around the time when did she marry Prince Rainier? Was that that was around this time, wasn't it? 55, 56, something like that. And then she retired. So that would have been one of her last films, I would have.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but no, Ava Scott. So Bluebot, at one point says, uh, "Let's play the Ava Scott being fired game." Right? Ava Scott was an actress who um, she was never, you know, she was n- never any great shakes as an actress. I don't think she she uh, she went on to become a um, BBC TV continuity announcer. In 1954, she got she got the job, but then she was. Well, she was. She, it seems rather cruel. She's very cruel. She was fired in January nineteen fifty-five. So, when this show goes out, she was fired for being too sexy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, isn't it?
1: <laughs> too glamorous, too sexy. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know about employment tribunals in nineteen fifty-five, <laughs> but surely to God she'd have had a case. <laughs>
2: Didn't exist back then, I'm afraid. Employment yeah. yeah. So um, got some work on the notoriety of it, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in the in the remake of China Story, it's Diana Dawes. Yeah, yeah. in a, in a current
2: swimming pool. story, wasn't it? Uh, someone threw in a swimming pool, and her husband of the time punched someone in, in the face for for doing so.
1: Yeah, was that Dennis Hamilton? Was that his name? Yeah, yeah. I gather he was a pretty nasty piece of work, really.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think she's quite attracted to nasty pieces of wood. Mm.
1: So back to the show. So yeah, we, we get the introduction of Bloodnok, and then Blood Knock takes them by steamer to this missionary uh, where the, the piano is. And <laughs> while on the steamer, they rescue a drowning man who turns out to be.
0: Mm. He's coming one. Mm. He's coming two. <laughs> who are you poor wayfarer? I'm only a <laughs> <just falling above. laughs> Well
1: held. <laughs> Did you see that coming? No. Uh,
2: no. no. <laughs> <laughs> the last one, the one in the bushes I saw coming, but I didn't see that one coming.
1: Yes, it's Adolphus Spriggs again. Yeah. Um, he gets he, they get tossed overboard as soon as they realise it's him. Uh, mm. at the mission, Henry Crun is auctioning the piano. Um, and this is where there's lots of owls inserted into words and lots of um, Chinese voices and cackling and all the rest of it.
2: It descends into uh, almost, I don't know, James Joyce gibberish, doesn't it? It just eventually becomes it starts off as £3.10 and it becomes bling-blong-blue and what have you. Know? Typical Spike, you know, it's ning-nong-nang and the like, isn't it? it yes. love sounds like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we find out that, that the the great pipe of Moriarty have put a bomb in the piano, and it will explode when the middle A is played. Um, and then, then they they go to Yangtze province. They meet Blue Bottle, who's going to take them to the Chinese naffy where Cash My Check is. Um, Again, I feel at that point,
2: there's, um when they ask Blue Bottle to identify himself, I actually prefer the original where he's got a Chinese dragon tattoo.
1: Hmm.
2: Rather than the LCC sports shoes, mm. I, I find it works better. Why have I got a dra- the thing about I've got what thinks? Why have I got a Chinese dragon tattoo? It's typical blue bottle, whereas LCC sports shoes, I don't know, it doesn't really match the story as well as a Chinese dragon tattoo.
1: That's true. No, that's true. Yeah. You're right. There is, like, yeah, you wonder if there's, a, there's, there's been a bit of tinkering with the script for the remake and they do seem to be a lot more loose. The, the, the remake was, um, it all came about because the general overseas service requested that um, a special edition of The Goon Show should be recorded at the radio exhibition, which was um, very highly regarded at the time
2: yeah.
1: at, at Earl's Court. And it was gonna be broadcast, originally it was gonna be broadcast, recorded in August, broadcast in September, um, and their producer at the time, their regular producer, Pat Dixon, um, was uh, was unable to actually uh, make that show. So they actually, interestingly, they, they went back to the original producer, Dennis Mayne Wilson.
2: Who was notorious for being free and easy. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Eaton, who was a hard taskmaster. There's one bit in the, the story where um, Blood Not Ass Seagull, do you speak Chinese? Just a smattering. Uh, well, we're going through bandit country. I speak fluent bandit. It's in the original script of series five, but it was cut out. Oh, right. Why? It must have been a producer decision, time or whatever, to mm. that little bit. And yeah, it's a good bit of comic dialogue. It makes its way into the remake. and quite right, too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is a good line. It was... Going to be recorded at Earls Court for the radio exhibition on Friday the twenty-fourth of August, and I think it was going to be uh, it was going to be recorded originally in the evening or, or or late afternoon at least. And then, as I understand it, Peter Sellers was committed to he was he was shooting um, the smallest show on earth that week.
2: Oh, wonderful film,
1: yeah. And just because of filming commitments, they brought forward the time of the recording to lunchtime on the friday 24th of august so this was recorded at lunchtime so it makes you wonder you know did they had they had an early lunch with you know <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: yeah. one of the good bits in it was is spikes ad-lib towards you and get that keep that child quiet madam
1: oh that's, that's great it's
2: about, isn't it?
1: yeah that's- yes because it, it makes you wonder about the makeup of the audience that there's someone in the audience with a, a baby
0: Oh, hulay, hulay! It's a uh, blue bottle on Teddy Sigrun with Honorable Channel. Keep that child quiet, Sigrun. <laughs> <madam. laughs>
1: <laughs> now, after they recorded this episode, uh, Spike did half an hour um, taking questions, I think, on what they call the celebrity dais. Um, from 3 p.m. and um, one other thing as well about this remade show, Spike put in um, a plug for "I'm Walking Back as a Christmas," yes. <laughs> and uh, I think as well that this was the first Goon show to feature Moriarty doing the owl catchphrase.
2: But funnily yeah. enough, the first hour in the program is from Grit
1: Pipe Thin.
2: That's right. Yes. And he's it's obviously, obviously Spike experimenting. You can see Moriarty and Grit Pipe Thin are, are two identical in some ways. There's slightly different characters, a French one and the English upper class one, but that they clash and doing the same thing rather than become a team. And you, you get the impression he's experimenting. How can I change this a little bit? And uh, as you say, out comes the owl, and it just develops and develops from there. Yeah, it's a
1: Yeah, I, I always say that my now my favourite pairing, if you like, is late period, Grip Piper Moriarty. Yes. Do you want us both out of this suit? Yes, that <laughs> is that is one of my favourite lines in in all the Goon shows.
2: You know um, what? I, I would love at some stage I, I, it'd be lovely to rewrite Roger Wilmot's book and bring it up to date and so on. Mm there's a lot missing, but I'd love to have um, a sort of list bit of some of the descriptions of, of, of Grip pipe, like, like here, a cadaverous man looking down from the top of an isosceles triangle, or you <laughs> know, I can't think, what's, what's the one he, he says in here? Oh, two-legged, grey-headed man going bald at the knees, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And another thing is Moriarty intros, you know, the, the way that Grip pipe thing yes. in the later series. The, the favourite has to be European barbed wire hurdling champion <laughs> It's a tragic accident. <laughs> a wonderful line. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have sort of some of the regiments that get mentioned, you know, the Bombay Irish, the Filth Muck Fusiliers and, <laughs> and Blood Knock songs. It'd be great to have a list of the songs that Blood Knock sings in it, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, the, the Darjeeling Walks or whatever it is. Uh,
1: and also more, I'd love to know the backstory about Blood and Minnie. <laughs> or, or would I? I'm not sure if I would. Well, I don't know.
2: One of many, I think Minnie would be, wouldn't she?
1: Yes. <laughs> we never, well, okay. What's your take on Minnie and Henry in terms of their relationship? What is that really? Is it, is it brother and sister? Is it, what is it?
2: Oh, dear. Um, we, as, a, as an older man, which <laughs> <this laughs> is what I am. I can quite imagine them just being companions. It's Two can live as cheaply as one. So um, two old people having to share a house and even a bed is entirely chaste. And uh, they're just companions to each other. That's my personal view on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to think of anything seedier than that, to be honest.
2: (laughs) Well, Mm. uh, you get the impression that, although Minnie might be up for it, Henry certainly isn't. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's strange that those you know, Blood knock songs in Adolphus Spriggs is that uh, Harry Siegel does very little singing, doesn't he, in the Coons show? That's true. In the first series, he gets a spot, but after that, he's limited to, there'll always be in England, and, and that bit in um, Tales of Old Dartmoor where he sings, riding the stagecoach with the Dartmoor prison on the back of it going oh, to France. And again, he butchers a song.
1: And in um, what episode is it, is it under two floorboards, he sings that boots song, boots, 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 tramping over Africa again. <laughs> yes. Again in a humorous register.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> think the singings done by Milligan and, and Sellers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Young they, they say. <laughs>
1: um and then we get to this bit where, yeah, so they've got this bomb, and, and obviously the bomb will detonate when the middle A is played and um, the Chinese pianist doesn't actually play more than the first eleven notes.
2: Isn't it clever, though? How they must he must have known this tune to start off with? You know, it's beautifully done, isn't it? The, the lead up to just to that A, it's just absolutely perfect, isn't it? Yeah. So he must have had the tune in mind when he put it together. It, I love a lot of things. It?
1: it is a clever. It's a clever idea and a clever gag. And obviously, uh, up and Moriarty are furious because, <laughs> because he's not playing the A. Yeah. But, then, but then, of course, uh, Adolphus Spriggs <laughs> turns up again, and, and this is
0: a real nice payoff. Cursed Moriarty! He hasn't played the note. Cursed. Oh, he's missed it again! Chinese gentleman, don't fret! Your dear fiendish penis can't play the piano, so I'll sing you another melody. Could I have an A, please? Damn clever, these Chinese. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, like I
2: said, <laughs> that's not what convinces me. It's Eric Sykes. I I could see that as an Eric Sykes
1: ending. Yes, yes. Like that's that that's a very good point. Very good point. Um, so yeah. So no Eccles, no Mini. Blue Bottle cuts in as as Wallace is giving the um the, the end credits. Uh, happy because he wasn't deaded that yes. week.
2: There aren't many shows where he wasn't deaded. Should <laughs> be. Greenslade story, of course, springs to mind where he turns up at the end saying, Wind's light the variable. Yes. He's the yeah. only line of the whole thing. <laughs> but,
1: yeah. yeah. You saw, I, I remember that's that's there, there's a there's a handful of green shows when Blue Bottle either doesn't appear or only has one line, often at the end. I remember when I first used to listen to these when I was a teenager, because at the time I was so fond of Blue Bottle, I would be i'm thinking um drums along the mersey springs to mind because i think blue bottle's not actually in that show at all and at the end from off almost like from off mic blue bottle shouts hey why wasn't i in this week
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's the same with um china story the first one because uh, i can't think what the next program is now in the series but Eccles turns at the beginning and, and
1: makes a crack about not being in last week's show.
0: Well, I wasn't in last week, Well, I know yeah, you well. weren't. Well,
1: yeah. So there is the, around this time of series five, there is a certain degree of continuity, isn't there? Um, because you have famously you have um, the chains gag from the White Box of Great Bardfield. Oh yes. That then turns yes. up at the beginning Houdini. of the following Houdini. show. Yes. Yes. It carries on to the next programme. It, it doesn't does. It? Yeah. Which, yeah. by the way. Uh, I have decided now officially that the White Box of Great Bardfield is my favourite goon show. (laughs) Uh, uh, That's strange. I
2: always think that your favourite is the first one you hear because it just knocks you out as being so funny. and The standard is so high. I I could pick at least 10 favourite goon shows, but uh, I do have a a big affection for Tales of Old Dartmoor. It was the first I heard and introduced me properly to the world of the goons.
1: Well, as I'm sure you know, because I've banged on about it before, the first one I ever heard was The uh, Last smoking Seagoon. The best? <laughs> oh, well, no. I still think back on that extremely fondly. It was the first mm-hmm. one I heard, and it was just so weird. And in some mm-hmm. ways I think, if it had been a different show, would it have... Because I heard it by accident, purely by accident. Had I heard maybe a, another show which was a bit less Uh, frenetic, if you like. Maybe it wouldn't have lured me in quite so much. I don't know. But I've got a lot of affection for that show.
2: Yeah. It was the the last one, all right, as Wallace Greenslade says at the end of it. Yeah. There was a nice article in uh, the last edition of the Goon Show Preservation Society.
1: Oh, yes. um, Duncan Gray wrote that article. That's right. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Yeah. very, very good. Um, Have you got anything else about China story about this, you know, the, the original or the, the remake. Anything in particular that you wanted to touch on that we haven't discussed already?
2: The, the only other thing is it's not quite related to China story, but Goon show as a whole is Signature Tune. I mean, mm. I love the signature tune for Goon Pod. I think it's great.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, that's um composed by um, Adam Leslie, who was my first guest, and he's been yeah. a he's been a guest a couple of times and he was the guy who kind of pushed me into doing this, really. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah, so he came up with that. I didn't ask him, in fact. He came up with that, and he also came up with the, um, the, you know, the, the graphic, the, the green GoonPod oh. logo, if you like. Um, so all the credit to, to Adam.
2: Yeah, but uh, you notice there's never an introduction to be tuned to the Goon Show. It just leaps straight in, doesn't it? Hancock's Half Hour starts off with a brass instrument, whatever it is,
1: Tuba, whatever it is. Composed by Wally
2: Stott, by the way. Oh, um, more than likely, yes. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing at the start and the ending, it varies. You've got Goon's Gallop, yeah. Lucky Strike, um, Old Comrades, and Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead, oh, which I think are that good. <laughs> I can't be honest. Maybe Old Comrades, the best
1: of them, fits the tone of the Goon show. I was always fond of Goon's Gallop. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's very much of its time, I suppose. Lucky Strike's a bit looser, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, they they never seem to be able to decide on the after about series eight. They could never really decide on what the end theme tune should be. It yeah. would it would vary, wouldn't it? Like it would be Old Comrades March, it would be Ding Dong the Witch is Dead. Um, they never seemed to nail that, did they?
2: No, as if they gave no thought to it whatsoever. Mm. <laughs> well, what can we have then? Oh, I've got this one here, Right, we'll play that then. And I, I don't know, I quite like the goon show theme.
1: Well, I think actually the first because the first, there's a couple of, as you know, there's a couple of recordings exist of series two yeah. shows, and I think those shows begin with a truncated version of Goon Gallop, don't they? I think there's the announcement, and then you get a little bit of the theme tune at the beginning, which is which is more in keeping with because it's more of a, of a variety show at that period, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was more of a variety show. Then it was sketches, wasn't sketches,
1: it? yeah.
2: It wasn't until Peter Eaton that it became it became less of sketches and more of a story. I
1: wonder as well, because really from series five onwards, we have all the shows and there's there's quite a number of shows now from series four that exist. But series five, I think, is when it really sort of kicked into gear. As a, oh, yeah, as definitely. A, series five as well.
2: But like I say, some of those series four, I'd love to have heard remakes of them. I mean, The Man Who Tried to Destroy London's Monuments Mm. I'd love to have heard that expanded to the whole show instead of just two-thirds of it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think yep. it was, and the ghastly experiments of Hans Eidelberger, yep. that's another one. There's lots. I mean, Goon again did uh, Spanish Armada and changed the ending for the better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm certain that Spike could have done this, got these shows and just improved them enough and lengthened them a little bit and made them into... Uh,
1: well, I think the Vintage Goons series, there's some crackers oh, yeah. in that. But I wonder whether they would have been even better had they not been recorded at the same time as the Series 8 episodes. Because it was just, if they were given the um, the luxury of just, you know, for example, instead of like having Series 9, they they yeah. they did Series 8 and then said, okay, we're going to do a whole series of remakes.
2: And, yeah. I, I think they could have done it after series seven to some extent. Give Spike a break. You know? mm. <laughs> Got a whole year off. What yeah. does do? Is, is have twenty six remakes, and then he'll come back with fresh ideas for the next series. I, I just want. I mean, I know Peter Sellers was at Restless Feet and wanted to become um, a Hollywood star and so on. But uh, I, I just wonder if it would have extended the life of the Goon Show a little bit further if they made that decision. The hell with it. Let's have some remakes.
1: Quite possibly, yeah, yeah. Although Series Nine was so strong, Series Ten is quite variable, but patchy. <laughs> but Series Nine, more or less, most shows in that series are strong. I, I, I think. Oh, yeah. um,
2: I, I agree. I, I always felt that um, Series Nine could have been the last series of all and we've finished on a wonderful note if Harry Seacombe hadn't been ill for the £50 cure.
1: Oh yeah. Mm.
2: Because the end of that, all singing will gather lilacs as chickens, um, that is just uh, (laughs) I just fall about just thinking about it right now. I'm still (laughs) laughing thinking about it. Uh, But but Dick Emery isn't right for it. He just hasn't got the charisma that Harry Seacombe has got.
1: Oh, it's Kenneth Connor, isn't it? The fifty pound cure. Dick Emery is Spawn, isn't he? Hang on.
2: I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just checking
1: now. Yes, Dick Emery. So um, Seacem was off for the first show of Series Eight, which was Spawn, and Dick Emery covered for him. Yeah. And the ninth series, fifty pound cure. Um, Seacem wasn't there, and it was Kenneth Connor. Yeah.
2: Yeah, again, they haven't quite got it. Which no. is strange, really. I and mean, Kenneth Connor was a good comedy actor, and Harry Seacombe can only replay really himself, can't he? <laughs> you know, it's strange that the whole, so much of the Goon Show is built around a man who's the worst actor of the three of them. Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen um, Davey or Sunstruck? Oh, I, I think Davey's good. I like Davey it's interesting it's a last evening comedy ever mm.
1: interesting
2: in that but uh, it's a very downbeat film though isn't it instead of going on for fame stardom and love he decides to go back to his old team because he thinks they need them
1: yeah no that yeah there, there's some for an Ealing comedy there's there's a lot there's a bit of a downer really is, yeah. um you got bernard Cribbins and an uncredited the late recently late lamented, Bernard oh, yes, Cribbins in an yes. uncredited role in that. Okay. All right, well, Roger, great, as I say, great to speak with you, and uh, we, will, we will definitely catch up again next year.
2: That would be terrific. I, I enjoy that time. I'd love to journey up to Manchester and share a beer or something. <laughs>
0: that was a new production of the show first heard on January the 18th, 1955. Harry Seacombe is now appearing in Rocking the Town at the London Palladium, and Max Geldray in Variety at the Empire Theatre, Glasgow.